American Mail Line, SS Samuel Parker, Tripoli, March 21st, 1943. On the evening of March 19th, we had an air attack at 6.30 without any warning. Saboteurs, it is claimed, had cut the communications between the listening stations and the warning stations so that no alarm could be given. We are the duty ship here at present. We have to sound the alarm, signal for the harbor when we see the flashing warning from the tower. Our first inclination of the attack was roar of the planes as they swept in over the breakwater. Very low they were. Only a dozen guns opened on the raiders in the first phase of the attack. It had been raining heavily for half an hour, so the enemy must have been guided by a radio beam from saboteurs here. Visibility a half mile. Their timing was so perfect that it could not have been a coincidence with the weather. About a dozen planes were seen. In the first phase, one bomber crashed alongside a small ship here. Another, or part of another, crashed on top of the ship at the next mooring to us. These came in so low they were probably caught in their own bomb blast, or the blast of bombs from planes ahead of them. The concussions from bombs were quite heavy. They were so close to our ship. Gasoline and oil ignites quickly, so two ships that got direct hits soon became a mass of flames. The flaming bomber that crashed soon sank. The two ships in flames lit up this small harbor, making us all targets. Drums and cans of gas and ammunition on the blazing ship near us began to explode like rockets and Roman candles. Gasoline cans came down like flaming meteors. Fortunately, the wind was across the harbor. Ships are tied up here in pairs, the stern lines to the same buoy, their anchors down separately, so that each pair forms a V at an angle of about 75 degrees. Few moorings in a small harbor, two-thirds of it silted up so ships cannot spread out singly. At the time this letter was written, it was apparently top secret, or didn't want to name some of the ships in the harbor, so... The blank ship tied to the same buoy as the blazing ship, out her moorings and steamed ahead a thousand feet until she stuck fast. Quick work. Through our binoculars, we saw some men leap over the stern of the blazing ship on which the bomber had crashed and which the blank had just left. Some of our crew took our motorboat, went over, and picked up the six men in the water. They got back safely. We kept our hoses ready to turn on flying bomb fragments that occasionally fall on our decks. Some fireworks. Now here's an unbelievable yarn. A few minutes after this rescue party returned, one of our forward gun crew reported a fish or something swimming slowly along our starboard side, heading aft. Looking over the side from our bridge, I saw the thing beam, going about four knots, like a big fish. Its actions coming to the surface for a few seconds, then diving and coming to the surface again in erratic turnings and circles, resembled exactly a half-stunned fish. It's a big fish, stunned by the bombs, I said to my men, but watch it closely. Within the V angle formed by us with our companionship, the big fish circled lazily, mostly making left-hand turns. Once it grazed our side, one of the other ship's sides in crazy actions. As no enemy planes had been heard for some time, I ordered a signal searchlight turned down on the beast as it completed a small turn and angled toward us. Then, close alongside, I saw that it was a torpedo. Our guns would not depress below horizon level. We had no machine guns, no rifles. The description is the most potent argument for all our ships to be equipped with at least one machine gun. We yelled, Torpedo! to our companion ship. They then saw the beast and put their spotlight on it. It headed directly for them, lazy, deliberate, inexorable as a nightmare, and dived a foot from their side amidship. It reappeared near the bow. Their machine gun glazed, but the bullets glanced off. The beast headed directly for us in a wide turn. A patrol boat had come up to see what the searchlights were for. Through the megaphone, I yelled, Torpedo, look out! 
They put on their searchlights, saw it, and backed hastily out of its track. They fired several shots at it from their machine gun, without effect. Headless of bullets, it seemed immune to destruction. A British tank officer aboard us had gotten his rifle out, and the only rifle on board. The beast came on and on, deliberately, perfectly certain of its mission of death, apparently, and in no hurry to complete it. It was heading directly for number three hatch, purposefully now, as if it tired of playing cat and mouse. It hadn't died for about a minute. I was leaning over the starboard wing of the bridge with my flashlight on the torpedo. On it came, head on and dived suddenly, six inches from our side. We all swear it back bumped the sides in that moment of deathly stillness in which we were all held our breath. It is impossible to believe that this occurred to both ships in succession. Were we immune? The damn torpedo seemed harmless, an unloaded dummy. It came up out in the middle between the ships. The patrol boat fired another burst at it. In the lull, our guest lieutenant fired four shots in quick succession. A moment of silence and he fired one more shot. With a roar, the beast exploded, throwing up a mast-high column of water. All over the harbor, a roar echoed back. Another of the beasts had found its mark in the side of one of our ships. Flashlights and searchlights darted from every ship onto the water about them. All realized what it meant. Fifteen minutes later, a machine gun chattered and the sound was droned by another great roar and a thousand feet away. That was three accounted for. Three explosions were firecrackers to what we had later. Burning ships blocked the harbor entrance. Blazing oil spread quite a distance from them. Small bombs and ammunition continued to explode from the ship nearest us. One at a time, two, three, and a string in quick succession, the intervals being filled by the firecracker sound of small ammunition. We wondered if she was loaded with our type of cargo, too. We were glad the wind was across the harbor. By this time, the blazing ships had settled into the mud, 24 feet in depth. The all-clear signal had gone during the torpedo incident, but there was no all-clear for half a dozen ships that ringed the blazing vessels, particularly the one nearest us. Her stern stuck up, still clear of flame. The rest of her sagged down. Her sides were red hot, but two small lighters moored on the side nearest us were not blazing as yet. Midnight crept toward us. The hour was ushered in by an explosion so terrific it would put a volcano to shame. Every one of us was knocked flat. One of the gunners was blown overboard. He floated alongside in his lifeboat until picked up by a launch on patrol duty in our lake. A vast wall of water swept over us over the flying bridge, a wall of water and mud and flying steel. Visibility was nil. A moment later, it began to rain. Steel, followed by gravel and coal, followed by mud and sand. As though it were a long way off, a dim fire began to glow through the dense rain from the wreck. It grew brighter momentarily as the air cleared. Then the fire began to spread as it seized on gasoline and oil released by the blast. It spread and leapt across the water. How the crew escaped death is a dozen miracles. No one was actually hurt by the blast. The second mate was blue bruises on thigh and foot, where a 150-pound chunk of steel grazed him as it fell. The third mate laughingly said, I'll swear I curled myself into a ball a foot in diameter. He's six foot three and a half inches tall. Written by Captain Stull, March 19th, 1943, Tripoli. Read by Patrick Danforth.